Hello, and welcome to episode 25 of the Forensic Files. I'm Dr. N. Today, I want to talk about the murder of Betty Gail Brown. The year was 1961. Betty was a student at Transylvania University in Lexington, Kentucky. On the night of October 26th, 19-year-old Betty was at the university attending a study session for an upcoming biology test. She never returned home. She was found strangled by her own bra in her car at 3 a.m. on the morning of October 27th in the driveway of the old Morrison building. According to the investigative notes, Betty died around 1 a.m. after leaving Forer Hall at midnight. There were no signs of sexual assault and no signs of robbery being the motive. Her purse, books, notes, and keys were all in the car. Police struggled to identify any serious suspects. They couldn't find the motive. Betty was well-liked at the university, a member of the FIMU sorority, and a Sunday school teacher at Central Christian Church. There are written records of Betty leaving Forer Hall at midnight. There was also a witness who saw her car headed off campus, but she inevitably returned to campus to park in front of the old Morrison building, and no one knows why. Why did Betty return to campus? Investigators could never determine if she had been alone or not, or possibly forced to return to that particular spot on campus. Four years after her murder, Alex Arnold confessed to killing Betty, but there were many questions about the authenticity of his confession. Arnold claimed to have been looking for a place to sleep the night of the 26th. He also claimed to have come upon Betty and another unidentified woman kissing in Betty's car in front of Old Morrison. He asked them for a light for a cigarette, but they apparently cursed him out and yelled at him to leave them alone. He then allegedly became enraged and went back to the car, opened Betty's driver's side door, and began attacking the women. The unidentified woman ran away while Arnold attacked Betty. He confessed to strangling her with her own bra and tucking her shirt back into her pants so that police wouldn't suspect sexual assault. He admits to being drunk at the time of the murder, which was a regular occurrence for him. No one has ever confirmed or refuted Arnold's story. However, police did find a woman's Belova watch that did not belong to Betty near the crime scene, but surprisingly, they didn't consider it significant to the investigation. Could this watch have belonged to the unidentified woman? Arnold's trial ended in a hung jury. Seven voted to acquit and five voted to convict. It was deemed a mistrial. Arnold even recanted his confession during the trial and thought he had dreamt the account rather than it actually happening. The police did not retry him for the murder. It's quite possible Arnold did kill Betty, but there was not enough evidence at the time to make an accurate decision. Shockingly, none of the evidence introduced at Arnold's trial was available for re-examination. Why? Because it was destroyed. The case was also marked cleared by arrest, but since they never retried Arnold, there was no formal conviction or conclusion. The case has not been forgotten, though. In 2006, police pursued a pretty promising lead. They believed a man charged with homicide in California may have been responsible for Betty's murder. They tested his fingerprints, but the results of that were inconclusive at the time. 
However, later in 2012, the FBI got their hands on it, and their analysis ruled the prints not a match to the prints found in Betty's car. Betty's clothing was retested as well in 2012 in an attempt to extract a DNA profile from the assailant, but no new leads came out of that analysis either. Almost 60 years after her murder, there are still no solid leads and no motive as to why Betty was killed. Part of the issue with Arnold's confession is that he was inebriated at the time of the murder. The papers at the time also made very detailed reports about the murder, including many details that eventually made it into Arnold's confession years later. It's feasible that he could have gathered these details from the paper rather than from his own memory. The claim that Betty was with a woman was completely ignored. Being in a homosexual relationship was not publicly accepted at the time, and investigators never took that claim seriously. But that could hold the key to the whole case, if it's true. If there was an unidentified woman, she would be a witness to Betty's assault and eventual murder. The homophobia surrounding the case certainly hindered the investigation. Even Betty's parents denied the relationship a possibility and testified in Arnold's favor at his trial. The only lead that was even remotely strong was a witness who claimed to have seen Betty with a woman the night Betty died at the diner where she worked. Investigators hoped the unidentified woman would be present at Betty's funeral on the campus or even at her burial, so they took the witness to those places in the hopes that she could identify this woman. The witness's claims were refuted, however, by a lot of other students who said they did not see Betty at the diner that night, and she was never able to identify the unidentified woman. This line of investigation was soon abandoned. There was one other person of interest a serial killer who had murdered women in Ohio, Kentucky, and Michigan in the 1980s. His name was Nolan Ray George. He was never questioned about Betty's murder, but his signature somewhat matched Betty's crime scene. His signature was strangulation with no interest in robbery or money, though a few of his victims were sexually assaulted. His victims were all young, attractive women who were strangled to death with an article of their own clothing, including pantyhose and underwear. Even though the signature is similar in Betty's case, it's not likely that George was responsible for Betty's murder. But again, police couldn't rule anyone out due to the lack of evidence. This is a complicated and quite frustrating case, from the lack of evidence, lack of resources for testing certain evidence, to no viable leads, it doesn't seem likely that this case will be solved anytime soon. There might be hope for a fingerprint match or possibly a DNA match depending on the viability of the samples they were able to collect in 2012, but as time moves on, the odds that we will be able to find the person alive dwindle. It pains me to know that someone could get away with something so violent and so heinous. We've come a long way in terms of how investigations are handled and how evidence is collected since Betty's murder. I just wish we could see justice for Betty. Thank you for listening to episode 25. 
If you want to support this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. You can listen to The Forensic Files on the website at the forensic filescaptivatefm which is linked in the episode notes. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you get podcasts. All episode content was researched, written, and produced by me, Dr. N. All music you hear in the episode was written and produced by me and classical composer Jeffrey Young.